whatever you do, don't fall. Coming to get you, Barbara. Here. <laughs> Real cute. Hey, everybody, you're in the dummy room. I'm Jody Have Not, joined by Mr. Nate Demmel. How's it going? Eh, pretty good, man. What's up? Uh, nothing. Just, uh, just hanging tonight. Um, you, uh, you getting ready, ready for, uh, Halloween next week? Yeah, I am, dude. And, dude, I went to the fucking Spirit Halloween stores. You have those up there? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's like a chain store, I think. But they have a lot of costumes and shit. And, uh, you know, we go down there looking for just something for the kids different. But, man, they got, like, this... Um, it blew my mind. There's, like, all these super sexy costumes, you know? And that's to be expected, okay? <laughs> yep. But I saw this, like, family. It was, like, this, this like, mom who refused to, like, accept that she was, like, you know, pushing whatever, 50 or something, you know? <laughs> Trying to dress like her kids and be the like their best friend mommy. You know what I'm saying? One of those. Yeah. <laughs> so she's in the store and she's letting these fucking, these girls had to be like 12, 13, try on those like sexy fucking cop outfits and all this stuff. Yeah. And I was just like, are you serious? I was like, dude, I took everything in me not to go up to her and just be like, what the fuck lady? You know what I'm saying? But I really do think they should ID these kids to buy some of these costumes, man. You should prove that you're 18 or over. You know what I'm saying? No shit. I mean, I'm all for like those grown women, you know, Halloween's the night to get like super slutty and hot. I'm for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you should be 18. You don't need to have these 12 year old girls out there wearing this shit. I mean, it was unreal. It's like, what are you doing lady? Yeah. That ain't cool. Yeah, they have uh, they have sexy everything, don't they? Like yeah. fucking sexy ninja turtle and <laughs> yeah, sexy yeah, sexy everything. <laughs> the one costume you never see though is the sexy Leia, like princess with chained up to fucking Jabba thing. Yeah. So uh, so what'd you get? Like sexy uh, construction worker or what? Uh, yeah, me and my friends are going as the village people. I'm the construction <laughs> worker. <laughs> no, nah, I don't get shit, man. I don't dress up, dude. I uh, we're just trying to find some. Like this year, the kids think they want to be, uh, one wants to be an angel and, and Nathan wants to be the devil. Like an angel and a devil. I said, well, that's different. At least you're not Batman again. Cool. But uh, I don't know. Those slim pickings for like kids' costumes. But Yeah, yeah my my uh, my kids are still, uh, we, got a, we got a shark, a uh, werewolf, and Madonna. Oh, yeah, Madonna. Yeah. <laughs> so I th- that's... Uh, yeah, they've been hitting up uh, different thrift stores for the last few weeks, you know? That's the way to do to, it, Trying man. to get it just just right, so. That yeah. is the way to do it. You go to the thrift stores, you find some authentic shit. You don't take your 12-year-olds to the goddamn spirit store and buy them slutty outfits, lady. I couldn't get yeah. over that, dude. Like, number one, scrape some of that makeup off your face and get, get your shit together. <laughs> You're almost 50 years old. Like, yeah those ladies it's like she's wearing like exactly the same clothes that her fucking teenage daughters were wearing lady grow up yeah that's just that's accepted always... already anyways yeah. not to bum everybody out on halloween it's getting close <laughs> but i could not Next believe week, that man. shit man 
But we have a great guest tonight, dude. I'm super stoked to see what happens when we talk to Black Dahlia here in a little bit. What about you, Nate? It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's, it is going to be awesome, man. Uh, who knows what it's going to be like, so. Yeah. Hopefully it's not like the old school dwarves where something bad happens and he dips in like <laughs> 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah, hopefully we get more than 10 minutes out of him, so. Yeah, I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. But yeah, I'm a big fan of this guy. Uh, I just kind of want to get him on here. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just hop right into it. All right, man. Cool. We have news for beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. Any of you that have ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, why don't you just come down here and join us, okay? All right, you're in the dummy room, and we're joined by Mr. Black Dahlia, the very best-looking man in show business, the fucking rock legend, Black Dahlia. How you doing, man? God bless you, sir. Thank you. How's it going tonight, Black? I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling ready. I'm counting my money as we speak right now. <laughs> right on. I figured it was, it's nice to uh, finally get somebody in here that's better looking than us. <laughs> that's everyone who's been on here, I would venture to guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a huge Dwarves fanatic, dude. I've been listening to you guys since Blood, Guts, and Pussy. I guess that was about 90, right? Yes. Um, came out, I believe, 1990. Dude, that album still fucking rips. And the album art, I mean, to me, that's one of the coolest album covers of, like, all time, dude. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was... Uh, I have to take credit for that idea. Um, it took Michael Levine to bring it off you know we were kind of trying to get something somewhere between art and the misfits or something <laughs> and, and we wound up with that right kind of reminded me of like the cramps meets the misfits kind of you know what i mean back in those days yeah well those were those were really two of our very favorite bands i was super influenced by both of those groups um and got to see them both uh, I didn't. I never saw the original Cramps, but I I saw them with Kid Congo. Oh, really? Um, and I saw. I did see the Misfits. Must have been eighty, eighty two, eighty three, something like that. And I think I only went to see them. I had never actually heard them, but they're they're you know. There was a picture of them, and there was a logo. It's like, oh, this looks like the Cramps, you know, like anything that looked right. like the Cramps. I would I would go. <laughs> So you actually got to see the Misfits when they were cool, huh? Yeah, that was in Chicago at the at the Metro. Uh, I saw a lot of great groups in in Chicago. Um, it was a pretty golden period, although at the time you didn't necessarily know. Like a lot of times you'd see a band, and you know I hadn't heard their record. I didn't, you know, you just kind of knew it was the show to go to, you know. And then with other bands, you you knew, you know. But I did. I at the Metro, I I saw Spinal Tap. 1984 wow <laughs> cool do they have like the stonehenge and all that crazy shit or what yeah they had you know and what was great okay they opened with rock and robin which i thought was very odd wow i think maybe in the movie they might have done that for a for a sound check or something so then they did that but um and then they even did the one do you remember in spinal tap the very obscure the, the first song that they ever wrote together, you know? If she's not on the 519, then I'm gonna know what sorrow means. And I'm gonna cry, cry, cry yeah. all the way. They, yeah. they even did that. Like, they did every little <laughs> bit from the movie. You know? Wow. 
It was crazy. That is crazy. That's cool. That's awesome. So those guys really did play those instruments then, huh? I mean, they yeah, were really absolutely. a real band. That was that was before the era of widespread fake bands, although obviously in movies there had always been people faking it. But yeah. no, those guys those guys could actually play and they were talented and, and uh, you know, they they buoyed it up with like a session drummer and, you know, yeah. and, and like, you know, the but they even had the keyboard guy, Viv Savage. I think he was actually a keyboard player. Wow. So, Black, do you think that they were the best fictional band that ever existed? Or was it something like, uh, you know, Captain Groovy or like uh, Eddie and the Cruisers or what? <laughs> I would have to go with Spinal Tap, of course. They are, <laughs> they are the greatest. But they've, they crossed over. They're not really fictitious because right. I saw them. Yeah, that's a trip. I mean, I guarantee you they're real. And I was a fan of, um, and his real name escapes me, but, you know, Lenny and the Squig Tones from, from Laverne. <laughs> Really, they had a group yeah. that had great song, and so you know, we we uh, I, even before Spinal Tap, you knew that that guy was good. You know, yeah, um, I can't think of his name either. Something uh, McKeon, yeah. Mike, Michael McKeon, Michael McKeon. That's yeah. it. Yeah, he's great. Hey, I don't want to uh, steer us away from Spinal Tap, but um, <laughs> I got a question about the album covers. Um, Blag, like uh, recording the record or doing the album cover what was um you know what was more hands-on for most people i mean was it going into the record were you thinking were you all excited about the covers and stuff or was that just an afterthought um yeah no i mean the making the record was very exciting we were stoked like that was when we were just excited to get out and play you know and people you know hipsters knew what sub pop was most people didn't i mean we had made a seven inch with them and so you know when when we did the seven inch we recorded a bunch of songs because that's what we were like it was like fuck yeah let's just do 10 songs you know right Hmm. so we were just ready to go and 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 make a record and that record was very much a sort of cry from the deep you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of anger and bitterness and and you know debauchery tied into it you know it was it was really a crazy record and then uh, you know probably six months a year later i was in new york and and then this idea of making this cover came up you know i we wanted it to be 13 naked girls and a dwarf because we had made a movie we had made i made a movie in new york with a friend of mine a guy named chris wetzel and and we advertised in the village voice for 13 naked girls and a dwarf and that's how we met guy bobby faust who wound up in in uh you know uh, a bunch of other shots and 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 you know so uh originally i wanted it to be 13 naked girls it turned into two and the two were two girls that we knew we finally just had to beg people you know <laughs> you know all the people who'd been set up to do it and punked out and all these different options have been brought even Bobby, the little dwarf guy, brought a chick that I was not real fond of. And, you know, I was just like, "Fuck this, man! We're, I'm going to do this." And sure enough, we found two naked girls, one of whom really disliked me, as I recall. Huh. You know, like she already knew me and didn't like me. I don't know how we convinced her to take her clothes off, but the rest is history. So after all the uh, all the albums and stuff, was there a lot of resistance? Was there ever resistance from the labels to to not do the you know naked chicks on the covers? 
No. Um, I'll give them credit for that. I mean, no one said, hey, you can't do this. Yeah, I mean, they knew what they were getting with the dwarves, I think. You know what I mean? I mean, I think given what the music was like, people were like, okay, you know, whatever, you know, because nobody's going to buy it anyway kind of thing. <laughs> okay. But you, you know what I'm saying. It's, 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 there's, there's limitations when there's a naked chick on the cover of an album, you know, so... That's uh, right, absolutely. But there's also limitations when you're going, you know, 300 beats a minute or screaming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I love, I love the records and I love the covers, so it's fucking win-win yeah, for, I mean, for me. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. It, yeah, it's all part of one gestalt, you know. It, it's there. It's kind of a garage punk art thing. Yeah, and it covers all of those bases pretty accurately. You know, it's pretty much like down and dirty rock and roll. It's pretty much like Dunderhead punk rock, and it's pretty much like experimental art kind of stuff. Yeah, it's all, all of those things at the same at the same time, you know. And the, and the covers are part of that. You know? Totally. So, Black, I've always wondered this, man. Uh, you know, being on sub pop, and then this whole fucking grunge thing blows up, and all these sub pop bands are like all over MTV. Did you guys feel like, what the fuck, man? We're the best band on this label. Why aren't we on MTV all the time? You know what I mean? Oh. Absolutely. I mean, I, I often felt embittered and angry about that, um, which is kind of funny, you know, because prior to that, it was like, oh, n neither you nor anybody you know has any success. But then <laughs> when it was like, oh, wait, people I know have success and I don't, you know, right. that, that's when you feel weird. And you guys were so much better than all those other bands on that label. Oh, yeah. I think. I always thought so. For sure. Well, yeah. And I mean, it, it's... There's a lot of ways to look at that. I mean, I'm, I'm more broad-minded now than I was then. I mean, different bands are kind of doing different things and right. help to push along this or that aesthetic. I mean, part of the whole Dwarves thing was always just, no, nah, fuck you, fuck everybody, you know? <laughs> exactly. So we, we were mocking all of those bands the whole time, even ones we liked or respected or thought were good. Right. You know, we didn't, we didn't, like, really spare anybody. You know, we weren't very reverent about what was going on, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, Blood Guts, yeah, it was like kind of a badge, you know, like, can you handle this, you know? And, right. and, and, the, and the music was not the right music for that time. But when you go back and look at it, it's like, well, it's rock and roll, you know? Hey, To me, it was always just rock and roll, which I think grunge kind of got a long way away from the essence of rock and roll, you know? Oh, yeah, in no time. And, and you know, so did kind of pop punk and a lot of those kinds of things which are good in and of themselves. Like, you can make a good pop punk song or you can make a good grunge song. And I, I think 
I think you could say the Dwarves did both of those things. I think we oh, had yeah. some good songs and some good punk songs and some good garage songs. You know what, what, whatever they are. You know, but the the you know the the average band isn't. You know, the average right. bands make a kind of a weak version of grunge or a weak version of pop punk or a weak version of hardcore or whatever it is. And I think the Dwarves always tried to do the most extreme you know, and well done version of whatever we were doing that we could, you know. Right on. Mm -hmm. Mission accomplished on that, Black. I mean, you guys have so many fucking good songs, dude. It's crazy. Well, I really appreciate that. I mean, part of that was me getting lucky in working with a bunch of guys who could all write songs so well. Right. I mean, and even down to the group now, you know, because a lot of times when bands get older, you know, they're just kind of a shell of what they were, you know, but I think with the dwarves, it was like we, the people we added were so good that some, you know, in some ways it got better and in some ways it just got different. And, you know, it was like in the last four or five records, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> you know, you got Josh freeze playing drums. You got, you know, Nick's been playing, Nick Oliver has been playing bass with me for 25 years. I mean, Right. There's guys. There, there is such a strong rhythm section on a dwarves record now, which is kind of different than Blood Guts or those other yeah. ones. You know, I mean, records are kind of good for different reasons. I think people are surprised when they hear a dwarves record now at just how it's still yeah. fast and hard, and it's executed pretty well. You know, I mean, the production you guys have now is stellar, man. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Take back the night. What did that come out earlier this year? What back in February? Yeah. Take that album just the fucking rips, man, and it's like guitars are so thick. Still fucking doing it, you know. Wow. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean that's what that's what we try and do. You know, we try and be like, no, we're still good, and we still make cool records. You know, and that because that gets so difficult the longer a band's been around. You know, and yeah. then there's the issues of like, well, what are you? What do you represent? And to a lot of people, we are sort of represent a very not PC thing. You know. <laughs> Amen, dude. But you know, I I I always felt more like that it was like just very id driven, you know? Yeah. It was very like debaucherous, like this 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 is like the band that doesn't give a fuck. You could just go all the way with this. Right. Like if and and it's not necessarily how you actually feel about things. I mean, it's like if you write a great love song. You don't necessarily have to be in love to, to do that. Right. You know, write the great, like, patriotic anthem. You might not be a patriotic person, you know? Yeah. And I think with the dwarves, you know, it was like people want to believe that there's this misogyny there or, like, hatred, but it's more of a hatred, misanthropy, like hatred of the whole human race, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's very, like... I think it's very even-handed. Like my experience of it is not, you know, my experience of it is a, as a fun thing for people, you know, not as like a a, a hurtful, sad thing right. for them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's definitely humor there too, right? I mean, yeah. to me, it's like yeah. a song like "Fuck You Up and Get High." I mean, that's just brilliant and funny. That's funny, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's just our very dark sense of yeah, humor. Yeah, fucking great. I mean, so if you had to pick one of your records, like if you, if someone was like, I never heard of the Dwarves, and you were going to turn them on to one of your records, which one would you give somebody? Like, which one would you go with? It's hard to make a choice. I, I, I generally default to three of them. 
you you mentioned blood guts and pussy which i think is sort of the the highlight of the young angry hardcore dwarves you know definitely and then i think young and good looking is sort of the 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 ultimate kind of pop yeah pop punk dwarves record And that was really the record that I wrote pretty much everything. There's there's a little bit from from some of the other guys, but it had fallen apart to the point where nobody nobody from my original was in it anymore, and I was kind of on my own. And I made that record, and that was really when I could have put a different name on it or done a different thing. And I think there would have been two different bands, you know, right? The real hardcore band, which was the Dwarves, and then whatever the band that made Young and Good Looking was. Yeah, that's one of my favorites, dude. Nate and yeah. I just had this conversation like yesterday. We were talking about your records, and same same with me, man. Blood Guts kind of is like the old school classic dwarves, but Young and Good Looking is like the new beginning, you know? I uh, I love yeah. Come Clean. <laughs> yeah. Come Clean is a winner, and that one kind of gets forgotten a lot because it wasn't 
didn't get the same attention that Young Good Looking did. Yeah. Um, and that was a lot the fault of Epitaph. They had sort of given up on us as soon as it came out. You know, they, they didn't yeah. really go anywhere with it. Um, but, you know, the other one that I like that I just sort of take great pride in and that I think is the high watermark of the Dwarves production is, is The Dwarves Must Die. Which to me is a record that goes to every different genre and really conquers every genre <laughs> that's out there. Yeah, that and, record is all over the place, but it's great. I mean, it's it's it, and to me that's a record with so many singles: "Fefu" yeah. and "Salt Lake City" and "Massacre." I always and thought it, "Runaway" should have been a single, dude. Runaway, yeah, and "Runaway," which was you know introducing that kind of acoustic thing, which yeah. we hadn't done the very early days of the dwarves i mean that that record to me i i had a lot of help on that 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 was when josh freeze started playing drums with me but also eric valentine who helped a lot starting with with young and good looking you know he was a really great producer and showed me a lot of things about how to make records and how to what order to do things in and how to make stuff come out the way you want it to, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and to me that must die is not a, a very well loved dwarves album as, as it goes. People seem to like this newest one a real lot. The, um, take back the night, take back the night, which for me, it's too early to call it one of my favorites, but this one had immediate, people were grabbing for this one and this one if, if you look at it has really it's really again i just got really lucky i have this great group you know you got nick oliveri who's such a great songwriter and such a unique singer yeah as as well as playing bass so there's a couple songs by him fresh prince of darkness who most people don't know but he's been playing with me for you know 25 years now something like that 20 you know at least yes. yeah like 20 20 years maybe since since come clean he came in and started playing leads on on come clean and he is a, such a great songwriter too and these guys write lyrics as well like people think that i write all the lyrics but really nick oliveri is an amazing lyricist fresh prince writes great lyrics he who cannot be named you know he writes great songs and writes great lyrics and then even Salt Peter, who was, you know, the original door or, you know, the, the, the garage doors and the blood guts doors, that was like me, Salt Peter, Hugh cannot be named. Those guys sang and performed, uh, you know, and, and wrote on this new record. So that was cool. It's like you with the door, if you get everybody from every different phase of it. Yeah, it's cool. And so this new record really like, the shit that I wrote was like the poppy garagey stuff because everybody else wrote the hardcore kind of stuff. And right. so there was this whole layer of like other people's styles and it, it, it turned out to be a really interesting record, I thought. So yeah, man, I mean, it, it's to, to still be making records that you're interested in is really a, a, a treat, you know? Yeah. I mean, hats off to you guys, man. You're still out there fucking killing it. You know, all these years later, not too many bands in this genre have lasted as long as the Dwarves. If you think about it, well, and the ones the ones that have tend to just ride on what they already did. Yeah, 
and you know we were always a little hungrier you know it was like you know we have we haven't done shit yet we'll check this out you know right hey can we talk a little bit about the uh you know the whole controversy like when he who was supposedly dead and all that shit <laughs> i never heard that much about it i mean i was there at the time but I'd like to hear your side of how did that whole thing go down? Um, you know, man, I mean, he who cannot be named is like a spirit, you know. So then when he died, it was very sad and right. reverberations were felt, you know, across the music industry, you know. Yeah. So then imagine how happy we all were when he sort of rose again in fulfillment <laughs> of the scriptures, you know. I mean, it was, that was a trip, you know. I mean, yeah. that it to prove again. I've been lucky because I've gotten to play with really good people and he who cannot be named, you know, he's like, he's like an icon. He's, he's not even a person, you know, he's like a, a an idea, you know. Did he get that name from the Sam Hain song or what? Um, yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, we we always gave him so many names that then when I saw that Sam Hain song, I said, "Well, that's you, man. You're he who cannot be named." You know, so he was he was always that, but it was also yeah, it like came from that song. I mean, we the Dwarves. There was a lot of outright thievery from the Misfits camp, yeah, and the Cramps and the Ramones. I would say those three bands, I mean, there's just outright, outright appropriations. But if you go down through the line of dwarf shit, I mean, you find massive amounts of appropriation, you know, from different. Yeah, but at least you're pulling from all the best sources, dude. Yeah, and a lot of disparate sources, like stuff that people who might grab one thing wouldn't think to grab this other thing, you know? Yeah. So, hey, Blake, uh, as far as the new record goes, I saw that video for the, uh, the Devil's Level. i 
and uh, yeah, holy Jesus fuck, Christ, that, that dude, video is, it's really cringy. It's hard to watch for me, but um, dude, whose idea was that? I mean, a guy named Nesto, it was all his idea. You know, the burger guys put me in touch with him and um, your fucking eyes you know, and shit. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it was. And he said, we're going to have more eyeballs getting tortured than any other video ever. I said, well, look, I can't argue with that. Yeah, I don't really know what it means, but okay, let's do it. Let's torture people's eyeballs. You know, it, it was great, just intense. You know, so dude, have you ever seen that? I think it's a fan made video on YouTube for like stop me, and someone just cut together all these parts from that Serbian film. Have you fucking seen that? Yeah. <laughs> so that is part of where we get, I think, our reputation for the <laughs> You know, because it's a tough song. And then when you cut it with something really disturbing yeah. like that, I mean, it, I have mixed feelings when I see things like that because it was like, I loved it. I thought, wow, this is really intense, you know? Yeah. But it was like, you know, to me, Stop Me is like so ri- ridiculous. Like, you know, it, it, it's, it's like someone would say, like, Stop Me Before I Kill Again, yeah. you know? But like stop me before I fuck again, you know. Yeah. Like to me, it's a funny <laughs> little aside. Yeah, that's but hilarious. Then when you see it that way, it's like, oh shit! Yeah, that like, dude's fucking hacking disturbing. that bitch in half and shit. It's like, damn. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that it, video actually like, made me get that movie and watch the whole film. And there is some even more fucked up shit in that film. I don't know if you've seen it, Black, but Jesus Christ. It's fucked the up. The guy who made that video is a friend of mine, and, and he knows that I don't like that kind of stuff, you know? I mean, that's part of why he makes that video like that. <laughs> just to just to disturb me and, and fuck around with me, you know? Right. But, you know, I, I, I applaud that. I mean, that's probably exactly the kind of thing I would do if I was a filmmaker, which I'm not, you know? I mean, I make I make songs and, and I, you know... Right. Speaking of you making songs, man, I was always curious and... I think Nate was curious about this too, man. How did you end up doing that fucking SpongeBob song? <laughs> yeah. Well, Saul Peter, the original bass player for the Dwarves, wrote that, and he wrote a number of songs for SpongeBob. Wow. And uh, they wanted somebody that sounded like Lux Interior. I said, "Shit, I've been imitating him for <laughs> since, <laughs> since the beginning, right, you know? suburban nightmare <laughs> days, right?" So we got do the Sponge. Um, <laughs> did they know who you were? I mean. I don't think the people who did the cartoon knew. Um, yeah. I was going to say, if they watched that Stop Me vid, I don't know. <laughs> well, Peter knew the creator's wife somehow, and, and that that was how he got in there. And they wanted things that sounded very homemade. And at that time, I think that Pete was making stuff on a four-track still. I mean, it was really like ghetto, and that was the that was the vibe they were going for, you know? just an interesting thing to see in like your resume full of all the great shit you've done you know what i mean (laughs) sticks out a little bit well they can't put in like you know they can't put in the really fun stuff in the resume (laughs) right (laughs) spongebob Uh, blood guts and pussy yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) so uh i've seen videos of you uh getting up on stage and singing with other bands um just wondering if there's any bands out there that you haven't sung with that you know you would like you know give them the honor to uh, have you up on stage with them. It's funny that you say that. Uh, yeah, it's great when you get to sing with somebody good, and 
you know, like last year, I saw the Dead Boys uh, reformed. Right. And I'm old, old friends with Cheetah since before I had a group, you know. Yeah. Um, and I went down to see them, you know, last minute. I was playing across town and I was playing, I played acoustic with Steve Soto, who passed away. Um, great, great uh, bassist and guitar player, uh, you know, for a bunch of Orange County classic groups. But yep. so, so we did this acoustic show and then, I, you know, I heard that the Dead Boys were playing right down the street and I ran over there and they were great. And they had a really good singer with them, you know. But yeah, I mean, like if that guy gets sick, I would love to sing the Dead Boys set sometime. That would that would be amazing to me because that that to me was like the great sort of punk band that was like you know in between like the the place that like Alice Cooper had and then that something like you know the Damned or the Ramones or that kind of thing. Right. You know the the there was a great kind of classic rock quality to the dead boys that that was that you know it's, it's just a great great group and the lyrics Stiv's lyrics are so amazing and i think to get a chance to sing that i mean i got to sing with the sonics which was a dream come true wow it was like the best garage band of the 60s right yeah just defines being heavy and hard and forward you know i mean it, it's so they're such a great in-your-face group, you know? Oh, yeah. That's cool. You got to sing with the Sonics? What did you sing? I sang He's Waiting, which isn't a song that they were very interested in or, or played, but they said, yeah, we can do it, you know? And That's I kind of awesome. knew that nobody else would be in there doing it. Everybody else would want to do... Fucking Psycho, right? But for me, He's <laughs> Waiting, that's like the first punk rock Satan jam, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just It's just a great song. You know, about it's about infidelity and Satan. I mean, you just don't get any fucking wilder. <laughs> you know? So uh, I got to come out and sing He's Waiting, and it was just, it was great. They were ripping, and it was, you know, there was still like, um, you know, three of the original dudes from the band, uh, and, uh, you know, including Jerry Rosley, who was the original singer and, the, you know, great. Yeah, that's badass, dude. We are going to get a little help here. From the fantastic San Francisco band, The Dwarves. Yeah, you like them? Well, then you're going to like this a lot. Here's, here's Black. In the motherfucking place to be. Around, but you had to play, and now you're. 
Alright, Black, since we're on the subject of you jamming with other bands, uh, dude, Nate and I are both big Screeching Weasel guys, so I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were on, you know, Baby Fat. Um, you know, I like Screeching Weasel. They, they came to my attention after we had left Illinois, and I always thought that Illinois needed bands like that, like snotty suburban punk bands. Right. My band was a little more almost experimental, Dadaist garage at that point. Yeah, and you know, but but then by the time we moved to, to California, it started crystallizing into more of like a hardcore band. And and when I heard those Screeching Weasel records, I liked them. And I always I always thought that that was a good genre. Yeah. Different people do it well, you know, like bands like the Queers and stuff really do that genre correctly. I think. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I like to hear it. I, for me, like it's a part of what I do. Like I always put a song or two like that on every record. Right. That's kind of my thing. Now with Screeching, and so with this thing, Ben is a big fan of opera, and so he wrote this opera, and and uh, I think he gave me the best song to sing personally. Me too, man. <laughs> Nothing gets in my way anymore Honest, I'm almost happy again I almost forget when you turn Thine eyes of mercy toward me Something breaks loose in my heart And I can't act like I couldn't care any less anymore No more than an apparition No more than my tunnel vision No more than I, much more than I like i'd be keeping this if i I wrote it i would be like i want to sing this you know but he he you know fortunately uh entrusted it to me and i got a couple good songs to sing um and i i think i wound up steering him more in the direction of having people speak more dialogue than they sang or more speak sing it right because he he kind of had everybody singing everything and i I was one of the first people to go, and I think I I did a good version of speaking it and, and like wrapping the stuff in between. 
and not necessarily sing, giving it all a melody. Yeah. Like you, so, it's I mean, like you're some, playing a character almost. Yeah. It's and cool. so in some small way, I, I think I helped him make a cool thing with that. Uh, but you know, it, obviously it's, it's, it's his baby. I mean, he wrote every note of that thing and it's, uh, you know, I think he could be very proud of it. You know, I mean, he, he, uh, he wanted to do an opera. He did it, you know? Yeah. So, I think you got to give him credit. There's supposed to be a part two. Yeah, I was going to say, are you slated to do a part two or anything I, in the I works? I would be glad to, you know. I, I, yeah, I couldn't really tell what the plot was, so I don't know if I die or what happens to me. <laughs> I don't think anyone <laughs> knows what the fuck that's about, Black. <laughs> yeah, like, would it, would, but I hope I, I hope I get to do it. It'd be fun. I think it's a no-brainer if he does it again to have you, dude. I mean, you got one of the greatest voices in punk rock, man. I'd like to think so, man. I mean, the the you know, it's a it's a closed set like the great punk rock singers <laughs> of who did it, who didn't. I, you know, you're I'll one of them up. though, dude. Like we were gonna do like a Mount Rushmore thing of the pop punk vocalists. You were one of mine, Vapid, Cody, <laughs> Joey. You know what I mean? You're up there. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't think most people would include me in there. I think for most people, it would be like you know offspring and green day and sort of the biggest <laughs> groups you know uh, nope. <laughs> not a dummy room dude nope i've always thought you were kind of akin to milo you know you could do the the really good pop songs and then you can kind of get a little bit you know a little bit more rough a little bit more hardcore yeah absolutely well i mean that's good company i, I think milo's great i mean oh yeah i always liked that genre of music i i, I think overall those bands you know were kind of stuck to their genre you yeah. know in a way that i i didn't you know do but i think that partly explains their popularity you know because it's not as confusing right and with the doors you, you get confused because we're doing different shit and you go wait a minute you know what the fuck is that does it complicate your set list when you're playing live to like have so many different types of songs to choose from at live, we really dumb it down a lot. I mean, live, we just try and do get a different vibe going. Right. The studio, for me, is a different place. And I'll bring anything in there. Yeah. You know, whereas live, it's like, it's got to work as a punk band just knocking it out. So there's a lot of songs we can't do. Yeah. That makes from sense. my records. And people say, like, oh, man, you don't want to make something that you can't do live on a record. Why not? <laughs> right. It's a record. Exactly. I can do whatever I want on a record. I, I don't have to do a lot. I'll do Plus something you got else. enough records, you don't have to just play it all from one record. You know what I mean? Like a lot of bands don't have that many in their discography to choose from. Right. Yeah, we we can go all up and down a pretty big list of, of things. Yeah, man, it's cool. So the Dwarf shows live are notoriously kind of wild and crazy. Dude, even here in St. Louis, maybe 10, 15 years ago, you guys were at the Creepy Crawl, and my friend got his face smushed right onto he who's fucking cock. <laughs> All, like, sweaty and gross and shit. <laughs> it's crazy. Better, better him than me. <laughs> yeah, because that stage was, like, a perfect fucking face height, and, like, everyone was going ape shit, and his face just got mushed right onto his dick. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that same night, though, man, my girlfriend got sick, and she went outside early, and she fucking loved you, dude. So after the show, I asked you if you'd come meet her, and you did. You walked, like, fucking half a block down the street just to meet this girl. So thanks for oh, that, yeah. man. Yeah. 
You also oh, told me that the next night you guys were in Kansas City and you were looking for girls with braces. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. What, what, what that uh, good shit. That show was like totally off the hook, though, man. This was probably like 2003, four or some shit. I don't even know. Long time. Oh man, I mean, I first played St. Louis many years ago, and they in the 80s probably and and you know i can't remember yeah you know st louis isn't always a spot that you wind up at but sometimes you know i mean it it, uh, and i've shows there it's like and they've got a great ice cream parlor there across from foo bars yeah so you gotta give them credit for that oh yeah Fubar's all right. I miss the creepy crawl though you know man i i come from outside of chicago and you know, we just don't give a fuck about any other city except Chicago. <laughs> like, <laughs> in the Midwest, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I and I left Chicago. First, I moved to Boston, then San Francisco, L.A., and, and you know. Right. I, I mean, it's like, but if you come from Chicago or that area, I came from the suburbs of Chicago. You know, it's just like, fuck St. Louis, fuck, right. you know, Ann Arbor, fuck Detroit, <laughs> fuck Cleveland. I mean, just every... Every other city, it was just like, fuck, man, are you guys still pretending that something happens here? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, you know, when, when, then when I didn't live there anymore and I started touring, you'd have a different experience. Because some nights, you know, Chicago would be the greatest place on earth. Some nights it would really suck, you know. Right. But St. Louis was always pretty pretty rocking, you know. Or I'd, have, yeah. I'd have a good show here, a good show there. I had some great shows in Columbus, you know. Yeah. But. You know, it's like there's just some cities that elude you where you can never get anything going. You know, it's St. St. Louis for us was always a pretty good one. Yeah. So when you moved from Chicago, was it like a band thing or were you just moving? Was it like a band decision to take it out west or what? Yeah, it was a band decision. We all we all moved together. You know, they they had been doing various things. So some guys were in school and. There, people were doing this and that, and I was just like, "Let's move to L.A." And my my friend Pete wanted to move to San Francisco, so we did that instead. But I mean, I've been kind of shuttling back and forth since, you know, for a long time now, since the early '90s, you know, or since the mid '80s, really, just shuttling back and forth. But you know, I live in San Francisco because I got a screaming place here. I, I will, I, I won't let it go. But <laughs> right you know, I spend a lot of time in in San Francisco and 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 in L.A. But you know, when you when I was living in Chicago, I mean, it was just like fuck all these other towns. You know, I mean, <laughs> but when, you're, when you're touring, you know, it's like oh shit, some of these places are good, some right. of them really suck. You know. So what's the deal with the Salt Lake City then? I don't. <laughs> I don't have anything against Salt Lake City. It's just, uh, um, you know, what happened was. I was in the airport and an old lady walked up to me and said, you know, she said, are you going to Salt Lake City? You know, meaning are the people right. standing around this gate going to Salt Lake City? And I said, no, no, I'm not going to Salt Lake City. And <laughs> when I got on the plane, it occurred to me like, that's a song really, you know, like totally. I, I'm not going to Salt Lake City. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden there it was, you know, cause it kind of, there's a lot of songs about places, you know, but there's not that many songs about not going to, to a place, you know? <laughs> right. Unless it's like a basement or something, <laughs> you know? 
So, Black, since it's close to Halloween and this is part of our Halloween specials, do you have any crazy-ass Halloween stories to tell? Crazy-ass Halloween stories? I mean, some of my fondest memories, you know, is it, we we played with Mighty Sphincter one Halloween many years ago. And I think that was when we first started, like, sort of touring or did a tour, which was basically just driving out there and doing two shows or whatever it was, you know. But, um, you know, there have been so many great ones. I mean, there was one in Lawrence, Kansas, where everybody was taking mushrooms. And, you know, <laughs> nice. there was a, a whole series of, of episodes at, at, at that place, the outhouse. Um, yeah, I mean, there have been there've just been all kinds of so many Halloweens that I can't even I can't even I can't even name them. I can't even <laughs> go down go down the line. All right. So were you a, like a fan of dressing up as a kid and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, sure, you know, but after, you know, pretty, by the time you're like a preteen or a teenager and it's all about egging people or <laughs> <Yeah>. shaving <laughs> getting windows and shit. Yeah, you know, the more teenage boy side of it, I guess, you know, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't that on the spooky side of it as much. Yeah, I think you're right. Once you turn into a teenager, it is all about trash in the neighborhood, you know, maybe stealing some candy, smashing some fucking pumpkins. All manner of, like, degenerate behavior, you know? <laughs> Been there. Definitely. What's your favorite Dwarves song, Blag? If you had to pick only one. Oh, man. <clears throat> that would be really difficult. I mean, I think Everybody's Girl probably made me more fans and, and money and love <laughs> than any other track, so... Everybody's girl. Oh, yeah. Everybody's girl. 
thinking about and what was you know the guy from material issue jim ellison had said to me you should write a song with girls names in it which was kind of a gimmick that he used a lot he had a song called valerie loves me and renee remains the same and you know they were more like kind of a pop pop rock band and yeah I, and I, I just thought, oh, fuck, you know, that's that's a pretty tired idea. You know, you've already done that. But then I figured out, like, well, the dwarves' way to do it is to have a bunch of girls' names. And suddenly <laughs> that was sort of the way into the song, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know what's crazy about that song is um, I was teaching guitar at that time, and that song ended up on one of those, like, I think it was like a punk or something, one of those comps. Yes. And, dude, I, I probably taught that fucking song to, like, 30 fucking kids. So I had all these punk rock little students, and they all wanted to learn how to play Everybody's Girl because it was on that damn compilation. I'm like, I'm like, if you like this, man, let me turn you on. I'd, I start burning CDRs for these kids and turn them on to all the classic dwarf shit, man. But yeah, I, I shit you not, I've, I taught at least 30 kids how to play that fucking song. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's super cool. It's like a classic. Yeah, I mean, that that is my kind of jam, and... and uh you know, so I dedicated to Jim Ellison from Material Issue, right great on. man, who's no longer with us. The thing about that song, it has so many cool textures on the guitars, you know? It doesn't just have, like, a, a simple guitar solo. It just has, it's just really intricate. It's very cool. I think people like it because because of that other kind of rhythm guitar counterpoint. No, no pop punk groups ever do that. No. You know, that it's like seen as like part of the heavy metal genre. And then you you get like hardcore bands that'll play that kind of guitar. But nobody who's doing like a poppy jam with a nice melody was thrown in that kind of metal, that more metal way of playing rhythm guitar. Yeah. You know, which actually is it's cool when you have both. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, to me, that record still holds up as probably one of the greatest productions in all of punk rock. That album just sounds so fucking good, man. Like, from front to back, the sound of it's just fucking clean. That, that was a record with nobody backing it except the band. I mean, there was no label there. It was just us doing it. And when it was done, I took it to people, and they were like, holy shit, this is good. But nobody would give me anything to make it. Wow. So. And, I, and once I did it that way one time, I got addicted to that because it was like, fuck it. I, I'm going to make the record I want to make every time. Yeah. I'm never going to make a record that you are telling me I have to make in this length of time. You know, I'm going to make my own record. What's happening? And I, I, I'm one of the only people I know who's been pretty happy with most of their records. And certainly every, everything in the last, you know, 20 plus years. Right. What led you guys to do like all the re-records on How to Win Friends? Just because some of those songs got in movies and other labels own the masters oh, to them. Okay. So if somebody wants that song, they can get this version of it. Right. And, and How to Win Friends was a good version of the group as well. There were there were some good players on on that. Um, 
you know, Nick got to put his stamp on a lot of early dwarf stuff and, and, uh, and Mark as well. So, uh, you know, so it was, it was, uh, that turned out to be a cool record. I thought, yeah, it's a great one, man. I love so, that version of it. Is anybody out there on that record to me is the best. That's like the definitive version. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is there's a song on there called follow me, which actually isn't yeah. on anything else. And that, yeah. that's a pretty decent song. And, and, uh, there's a good version of Dominator that some people like better. And, I like that you know, one too, yeah. It's, it, it's worth having. I mean, I don't like to dabble in redos because then, you know, people are left with, they always seem to get the different version that's not as good or whatever. You know, you'll get like Rocky <laughs> Eric's and shit and there'll be five versions of something. Only one of them is good, you know. But I mean, I... I uh, some of them I just had to redo because it was too easy not to, and I, I had a good band. Right. I mean, I probably got another 50, 60 songs like that recorded. Wow. I just had finished working. It's a killer version of uh, Saturday Night, too. Saturday Night, yeah. There. And what's that last song with the, uh, it's like a, it's more of like a spoken Surf. word thing. What's that one called? Oh, right. So that. I forgot what it's <laughs> yeah, called. It's like Serpent. Serpent the, the Intercourse Barn. Oh, there you right. go. <laughs> Dude, I always love that line. She's got Lou Gehrig's disease, and she's willing to share. It's <laughs> fucking great. Yeah, I mean that was I. I wrote a a book. Uh, me and Mark Rude. You know, Mark Rude was a great tattoo artist, an album artist, a guy from you know San Diego, and you know, but he came from the East Coast. But he he uh, was. He was a really cool artist, and I did this weird uh, experimental novel kind of thing, armed to the teeth with lipstick. So I was just reading one of the chapters from it over that surf instrumental. Wow. Um, and that was kind of an arty thing, again, you know, the kind of thing that doesn't really endear you to the pop-punk crowd or the garage crowd. It, 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 people don't necessarily do that kind of shit, you know. I thought it was pretty rad, dude. You know. Yeah. Why not do something cool like that? It just was like bonus, really. Yeah, I mean that's how I look at it. Super cool. So what's up with the? Uh, I used to always see that fucking ad for that. The scum also rises. What's the deal with that? Um, you know that was just a funny thing that I did. It doesn't. I it don't wasn't think a it, real like a real documentary. Then it was just kind of a trailer. Yeah, it was just something okay. that was. <laughs> <laughs> The scum also rises. The violence. It's fucking great. Yeah. All those clips of you guys. Do you remember like a, I think it was like a Nirvana documentary I'd seen, but anyway, they show some dwarves clips and you're like kicking some dude in the face and then they go on to say how there's like a seedy side, a violent side to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was in Curtin Courtney. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I mean, I was a fan of Nirvana. I thought they were great, but we weren't like pals with them. And somehow we wound up in that movie because we happened to be playing in Seattle when they were filming. Uh, right it was on. very coincidental. And it was like, well, did you guys know Nirvana? It was like, well, as a matter of fact. You know, <laughs> uh, strange. Uh, that's great. So, Black, you've also done some production over the years, right? I used to do a lot more. I, I don't do a lot of production. I mean, I do... You know, I helped to produce that podcast, uh, uh, We Got Issues, yeah. um, and I did a podcast before that called uh, um, 
real like you want. Yeah, um, I like that show. You play all kinds of good shit on there, man. Yeah, and those are always with partners, people that talented people that putting stuff together and helping me do it. You know. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I between playing shows and just living life, I I uh, I don't really produce a lot anymore, and it's largely because you know there used to be much bigger budgets in the music industry. There was money to pay producers, you know. Right. So when I was doing it, big producer would have like a three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar album. So then I was getting albums that were like you know forty, fifty thousand dollar album to make, right. and, and and you'd make a few grand off it. You, you know, you'd make a fortune, but you know, you made something and it was worth your time. Yeah. And now people are trying to make that same record for like you know three grand. You know, I need I need twenty songs. You know, what I mean, I just <laughs> I would love to do this. But I, I just can't. I need enough time to make something good, you know. Like the 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 revolution in recording has been very democratic in some ways, but it's also really cut down on the quality of recordings. Like most stuff sounds like shit now, and to make something that sounds decent to my ears, you know, I just can't do it for the kind of budgets that are around now, you know. So right. I only do it making my own records. I mean, if somebody came to me and said. Hey, I, you know, I want your particular production sound. Can you help me do this thing? Oh, I, I would do it, but it's just like I don't know. I'm I'm much more interested in like interviewing people or doing a show or do other kinds of things rather than you know producing people's records, which really takes a lot of time. You know. Yeah. I mean, unless you do it like a real hack, like, well, I just own this studio. Come on in, we'll record you. Okay, we're done. You know. <laughs> right. I don't do it that way you know right so are we gonna get another dwarves album in the future or you think we'll get another one out of you that's a good question i mean there there have now been you know 10 regular lp releases and probably like 12 12 lps worth of dwarf stuff there's quite a bit there you know yeah i don't know i mean looking at how good the last one was and how everybody wrote on it, you know, it was like, I bet we could do another one easily, you know? Yeah. So, I bet there probably will be. Nice. Have you ever considered, like, hooking up with, like, a rhino or someone like that and doing, like, a, you know, the 30th anniversary of Blood, Guts, and Pussies coming up right around the corner, man, you know? Do you ever think about doing, like, a, you know, how the Ramones put all these 40th anniversary reissues out? Any- no. No, I think people would I mean, dig it, man. You put some extra shit on there, remaster it. You know, I love that record. You know, I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. It's just it already happened. It's sitting over at Sub Pop. They never really did anything with it, right? You know, <laughs> that's probably just how it'll be. I mean, I make I make newer shit. That's cool. You know. Oh <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> that's what I'm shooting for. You know, because I can't like. You know, some labels kind of blow, and they don't really do. <laughs> That's for sure. That would be an example of one such label. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you recorded some of those songs on How to Win Friends, right? Yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't matter. It, it's out there. You can get it. Right. I mean, that's all that I care about. I mean, that and, you know, it, it's, yeah, I mean, the, I've done reissues of things. Like, with, like, Young Good Looking was my record, so when I reissued it, it had a whole other side of material on it. 
that was from that period that was really high quality and a bunch of extra art, you know, I mean, I like things like that, but you know, if you're with some dipshit label and nobody gives a fuck, then it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> I hear you. you know, reissues are unnecessary. I mean, they're just to cash in on things. It's, it's <laughs> basically like, it, yes, it's a great record and it's there, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I get you. You know, and if, if, if 10% of the people who told me they have always loved that record actually had it, it would have a lot better than it did. I mean, <laughs> People talked about how great it was after it was over, but they didn't buy the motherfucker when it came out. You know, people were scared, and people were maybe they were too afraid of the cover or some shit. I don't know. I mean, people were celebrating tamer shit at that time. Yeah, that's for sure. That was that's what was going on. Totally. Well, Black, I think uh, we've probably taken up enough of your time for one night, man. You know, we really do want to thank you, though, for even giving us any time, man. It's really cool of you. Well, it's my pleasure, man. You guys take it easy and send yes. everybody over to thedwarves.com. Hell yeah. Buy up all these great records and all our stupid merchandise and all that shit. Send me <laughs> naked pictures of yourself if you have a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> you want to plug the podcast, too, dude? Uh, check out We Got Issues at wegotissues.net. We're on iTunes. You can subscribe there. That's a pretty uh, hilarious advice podcast yeah. that we do. It's great. I love it. Uh, God bless the dwarves, all my friends. The Fresh Prince of Darkness wrecks everything. You cannot be named. Hunter Down. The whole crew. Sergeant Saul Peter, the doctor of scatology. <laughs> who came up with all the various I know we're, we said we were finished but do you come up with all the black names for yourself or do other people give them to you oh no other people have made them up I mean the funniest one was Marky Decide he came up with Blag History Month which I thought was really funny that's good I like Blag Magic I haven't heard that one from you yet Black Magic that's a good one yeah, yeah. You can have that one, and if people ask, it came from me. <laughs> I don't know. I always thought it, that might make a good uh, album title, that old Blag Magic. Hell yeah, it would. That'd be tight. So I always like Blag the Ripper. That one sounds cool. That's the classic <laughs> one. Yeah. Well, that's me, kids. Blag the Ripper. <laughs> Take it easy. All right, Blag. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Blag. Take it easy. All right, well, there you have it. That was our uh, little hang sesh with Black Dahlia, man. That was fun, dude. Yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, I had never met him before or anything, so super, super cool. Yeah, nice guy. And seriously, if you if you haven't checked out his podcast, it's not like some like hardcore like punk. It has nothing to do with punk rock, really, other than the fact that Black is on it. But what happens is people send in these questions, and him and his co-hosts, they just like read these, like, questions people send in and they try to resolve the issues right like someone might send in talking about something you know having to do with a relationship and blag and the no name and sometimes it's dana and sometimes this other girl but they'll just all t give them their advice and solve the issue right there on the podcast it's pretty cool dude 
So is it is it um, is it like Loveline? Remember Loveline from the '90s? It is, but cooler because you got Black Dahlia and the Snowman well, yeah. guy, and it's a little more modern, and it's not always just about sex, really. Like yeah, yeah, you might yeah. hear that I heard one where they were talking about a fucking this this dude liked to have his dog like watch while he fucked this girl, <laughs> <laughs> and they like worked it out for him. I can't remember what their advice was at the moment, but it was solid. <laughs> But yeah, man, Black Dahlia, thanks so much. Uh, Everyone listening, thank you for listening. We've been slowly gathering steam on the dummy room. We want to thank everybody that's been listening. You guys are rad. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll uh, see you on Halloween. Yep. Happy Halloween. Boo, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) That's ridiculous. Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista.